0: continuing our time in the Gospels. In fact, this year we're gonna be looking at the Gospels, at the life of Jesus, and uh, we have spent the last year in the Old Testament. So we're switching over uh, to look at uh, the New Testament and uh, see the example that Jesus has given us. President George W. Bush, in his State of the Union address on January 29, 2002, first used the phrase axis of evil to describe the three main terroristic threats to the world during his time in office. Those three countries were Iran, Iraq, and North Korea. In regard to the spiritual life, we as Christians also face a terroristic axis of evil, namely the world, the flesh, and the devil. In today's message, we're gonna be focusing on the third of these powerful opponents, the devil or Satan. But before we begin, I want to make some clarifications regarding our study today. First, I want to note that there can be significant extremes that people go to when thinking about the devil, both of these which he loves. The first extreme is to not focus on him at all. Many don't want to think about the devil, and some Christians don't even believe that he exists. They think that when the Bible talks about Satan, he is just an allegorical representation of evil, a metaphor of all that's bad in the world. This is a grave error, because in ignoring him, we do not prepare ourselves for his attacks. Rather, Scripture encourages us, in 2 Corinthians 2.11, that we are to not be unaware of his schemes, in order that he should not outwit us. Clearly, the devil is a powerful being. We see this in Jude 1.9, where the half-brother of Jesus warns about dreamers who slander glorious beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he disputed with the devil over the body of Moses, did not bring a slanderous judgment against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. These men, however, slander what they do not understand. If the most powerful angel in God's army is careful in his dealings with Satan, that shows us that we need to be aware of how we must carefully relate to him as well. Also Paul gives us a stern warning in Ephesians 6:12 for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. In fact in 1 Peter 5:8 the apostle further warns be sober minded be watchful your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Note that he's warning Christians here, not unbelievers. You can be devoured as well. The opposite extreme that we can go to is that we give Satan too much attention and power, perceiving him as God's equal in this great battle. We become paralyzed with fear when we think about him. But his limited authority is clearly shown in numerous passages. First, we see that Satan is a created being. In Ezekiel 28.13, which has been traditionally attributed to the devil, says, On the day you were created. It goes on to state that he was an anointed guardian cherub, or angel. Some scholars even believe that he was one of the three archangels, along with Gabriel and Michael, before his fall. Second, we see in Job 1 that Satan comes before the Lord, wanting to ask permission to torment Job. And so if he were God's equal, he would just do what he wanted. But God actually limits how much of Job's life he is able to affect and tells him that he is not allowed to touch his life. Again, we see Satan's requirement to ask permission in the New Testament, Luke 22:31. 31. Jesus is speaking to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Someday Satan is going to be bound and cast into the lake of fire. And it's only for a short time that Satan can still affect people, which is clear to us in Revelation 12, 12, where it says, Therefore rejoice, you heavens and you that dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, now listen to the reason, because he knows his time is short. And so this brings us to the meat of our sermon. How do we battle against Satan? Satan. What are those schemes that 2 Corinthians tells us to be aware of? Well, I believe that the best way to observe the devil's tactics and how to counter them is to look at the example Jesus set for us as he faced Satan's attack in our text today in Matthew chapter 4. And so I want to look at three points and ways that Jesus went against Satan, how he fought against him. First, Satan wants us to doubt God's provision. One of the biggest understatements in the Bible is found here in verse 2. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. (laughs) Well, no doubt he was hungry. I've had some long fasts in my life, and I've noticed that there's a big difference between what's called habit hunger and real, actual life and death hunger. And I have the feeling that Jesus was not an overweight fellow when he began his fast. So I'm sure he was about on the verge of the kind of depleted state that can lead to death when Satan comes to tempt him. Probably one of the most tempting foods out there when you're fasting or dieting is fresh bread. In fact, I'm on this kind of new baking kick of sourdough bread, and I made some this morning. (laughs) And I just couldn't walk out the door. We weren't supposed to cut it for 20 minutes, but I had to go, so I cut off a slab and uh, put some butter on and ate it. And so Satan attacks Jesus by calling into question God's ability to provide for him and to keep him from death. Basically, the devil was saying, you don't need to sit around and wait for your father to feed you. Just turn these stones into bread. Satan was trying to sever Jesus' dependence on the Father. And interestingly enough, right after the tempting is over, God sends angels to come and minister to Jesus. And the word minister there literally means to wait upon or to serve him, bringing him food, perhaps even bread, to end Jesus' fast. Do you know Satan does the same thing to us? He wants us to doubt that God will provide for us. He tempts us to go out there and to get what we deserve. But consider Jesus' teaching regarding this area of our lives. In Matthew 6, 26, he says, Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? But Pastor Scott, I might starve. I might not be able to make that payment that person might not pay me back if I'm generous to them. All these doubts and fears are easily dealt with when we look at Jesus' response to Satan here in this text. He actually quotes the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 8.3. He says, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And this statement gets to the very heart of the matter. How much do I really trust God? How much do I really trust his word? Let's look at a very practical example of that that deals with us today. In the area of tithes and offerings, we are commanded to give to the church. We actually have the privilege to do so. And Scripture makes this very clear that the local congregation runs by the offerings of the congregation. And so, if you don't believe this, you can actually go online. We did a whole series on giving last year. But let's say for the sake of argument that you do believe that. But what happens when you have a tight month? Or a tight couple of months? What happens when an unexpected expense strikes you like your car breaking down? or a hospital bill that you forgot about. We think, God surely doesn't expect me to give to the church this month when I have all these bills, does he? That wouldn't be a good witness. I think the best example in the Bible of a person that trusted in God's provision is the widow at the treasury. Jesus tells us that she put in everything that she had to live on. Basically, she was saying, okay, God, It's up to you to keep me alive, because I'm just giving everything to you. I'm your child. I'm trusting in your provision. And you know the devil cannot touch a person with this kind of faith? This kind of person is clinging to the promises of God. In other words, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Consider, if you will, the faith of Pastor George Mueller, the head of an English orphanage in the 1800s. I'm quoting some, a story from uh, one of his works. One day, there was no food for the children to eat before school. George asked the house mother to take the 300 children into the dining room and have them sit at the table. He thanked God for the food for the children as he always did. Within minutes, a baker knocked on the door. Mr. Mueller, he said, "'Last night I could not sleep. "'Somehow I knew that you would need bread this morning. "'I got up and baked three batches for you. "'I will bring it in.' "'Soon there was another knock at the door. "'It was the milkman. "'His cart had broken down in front of the orphanage. "'The milk would spoil by the time the wheel was fixed, "'and so he asked George if he could use some free milk. "'George smiled as the milkman brought in "'10 large cans of milk, "'just enough for 300 thirsty children.' We rebuff Satan when we trust in God's provision. Second, Satan wants us to doubt God's protection. A big part of human nature is the need to feel safe. We make a lot of decisions about this issue. How can we remain safe? And this is why we have things like the military, the police department, the fire department. But one of Satan's tactics is to attack this basic need, He wants us to live in fear, and even better, to live in irrational fear. Now don't get me wrong, there's plenty of things out there to be be afraid of, and we need things like the military and the police department to protect us. But there is certainly one thing that we cannot be protected from, and many people have tried, it's death. Death. When Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, we must remember that Jesus was in a vulnerable position. Philippians 2.7 tells us that he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And so what this meant was he could be hurt. When people struck him, he felt pain. He could die like the rest of us. He was emotionally affected by torment and pain. He was not excited about dying on the cross, even though he knew this was his purpose for coming to earth. We know this by seeing the state he was in when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was in anguish. Listen to the account in Luke 22. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. That word that we translate agony literally means struggling in a state of anguish. Back in the wilderness, Satan knew that Jesus had come to die for the sins of mankind. He knew the prophecies, and in fact was even present in the garden when the first prophecy was spoken regarding this, that Jesus would come to crush his head. And so he was trying to derail Jesus from his destiny before it even happened, by tempting him to take the easy way out. He took him to the highest point of the temple and said, Call on some angels to catch you and throw yourself down from here. Let's see if the Father will really protect you. Or not. Each one of us has to face our own mortality sooner or later. And the devil wants us to doubt that God will catch us when we fall into that black hole of death. He wants us to live in fear of that day, a day, by the way, which Christians are supposed to be excited about, anticipating it. And so, just like he did with Eve when he asked, Did God really say? He also wants us to call into question the promises of God regarding the protection that he gives us, not only from death, but also from the wrath of God, which is what makes death so dangerous. He whispers, Christ is not really going to protect you, is he? You're too sinful. You haven't done enough for God. He doesn't really love you. But look at how Jesus combats Satan here. Again, he quotes Deuteronomy, this time chapter 6, verse 16. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When we test someone, it's because we don't fully trust them. We want them to prove themselves to us before something of major importance comes along. But that's not faith. That's a rational decision based on the outcome of the test. And so, in the face of of doubts, the deceiver sows our response, that it should be, no devil, I will not put the Lord my God to the test. I trust what he says will come to pass. I will not put my trust in what my eyes can see. The devil cannot stand in the face of this kind of faith. And finally this morning, Satan wants us to doubt our position. One of the core questions that we face as a Christian is, who am I to God? What does he think of me? We may think at times that we are a nuisance to him. This thought has plagued me many times in my life, possibly because my father left when I was young. And so I have this kind of nagging sensation that God's going to leave me. Or maybe it's because of all the trouble that I've caused him. He's had to rescue me from my foolishness many times. And if all of us were honest, we would say the exact same thing. And we begin to doubt our identity in Christ. This temptation is to grasp onto something temporal as a substitute. This is why many people are willing to reject salvation offered by Jesus in place of temporary riches, fame and power, things that make us feel important in the moment, but are an illusion. Satan obviously has many worldly resources at his disposal. And we see this in the parallel passage of this story in Luke 4. The devil states in verse 6, To you, Jesus, I will give all this authority and the glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. And so Satan has power here. Power and authority over the world's uh, governments, systems, all of these things. And so the whole selling your soul to the devil is a very real option. And it's this option that he offers Jesus after showing him the kingdoms of the world. I will give you all this, By the way, you can skip the cross if you just bow down to me. But Jesus did not take the easy way. He endured the shame of the cross for our sake so that he could secure an everlasting kingdom for us. Not a temporary kingdom. And now we are heirs to that kingdom. We see the promise in Revelation 3.2. To the one who overcomes, I will give the right to sit down with me on my throne as i also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne the obvious question is how do i overcome then and the answer is not to try harder do more good stuff no the answer is clear in revelation 12:11 they overcame him the devil because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony When you know that your identity in Christ is secure, you're looking forward to your heavenly reward. It's much harder for the devil to tempt you with temporary things like money, fame, and power. Wrapping up this morning, make no mistake about it, brothers and sisters, the devil is very dangerous. In fact, 1 John 5.19 tells us that the entire world is under his control. But as Christians, we are now outside of that control. But that doesn't mean he's still not trying to hurt you, that he's not trying to kill you. One of the pastoral interns that I supervised back in California told me a story that he would heard from his grandfather. His grandfather told him the secret one day of killing rattlesnakes. When you step on the head, be careful, because the tail has a sharp rattler and it will try to whip around and hurt you in one last desperate attempt. The serpent bruised the heel of Jesus at the crucifixion, but his head was crushed by the resurrection. But we need to watch out for the tail. He's in one last desperate attempt to try to hurt the body of Christ. And as demonstrated by Jesus, we can be very thankful that we have a powerful offensive weapon, which Ephesians 6.17 calls the sword of the Spirit. It's the word of God, the very weapon that Jesus used on Satan in the wilderness. And so when we resist him this way, James 4.7 tells us that he must flee. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this weapon of the word that you've given us. Help us to understand it to read it, to love it and digest it and be ready to use it at any given notice when we feel Satan is trying to attack us. And Lord, we thank you that you have the victory. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street Northeast, Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.